text this morning is Exodus 4, verses 1 to 17. We'll read that together. Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 to 17. Page 47 in the Pew Bible. The Lord has revealed his name to Moses, again commanded him to go to speak to the king of Egypt, and also told Moses exactly how well everything would work. And then Exodus 4, verse 1, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, <clears throat> they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, have you ever felt that if you were in control of your life, your life would have looked a lot different than it does today? Some of the trials that the Lord makes us endure don't seem to make sense. Some of the things he calls us to do seem pretty hopeless for us to accomplish. Even when God has promised to bless us when we trust in him, we have trouble believing that he will keep his promises. In our text, Moses was facing that kind of obstacle. And what made it worse was that he had so much trouble believing that he was the right person for the job. 
He expected that the people of God would simply deny his claims. Exodus 4 verse 1, even though the Lord had told them, and you can see this in Exodus 3 verse 18, that they would listen to his voice. Moses didn't believe that he had the right skill set, even though God had made it clear that he had by choosing him and sending him. Before Moses spoke on God's behalf, he himself had to learn to trust the Lord's voice. As the Lord calls us into our different responsibilities and tasks in his kingdom, he also speaks to us. And I preach to you the gospel under this theme, the Lord's voice is powerful and gracious. Listen to him. We'll see that he speaks to us through signs answering to unbelief, through servants appointed in weakness, and through his Son who anoints us to service. If you look at Exodus 4, verse 8, you will see there that the Lord, is, the Lord talked about listening to the first sign. That's because the original language speaks of the voice of the first sign and the voice of the latter or the second sign. The implication of this, this wording is that the signs that Moses would perform would speak to the people, just like Psalm 19 says, when it says the heavens declare the glory of God. This kind of language teaches us that God was intentionally sending a message to Moses and the people through the signs. Exodus 4 verse 5 makes it clear that the signs were to be done so that the people might believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob had appeared to Moses. The signs were only necessary because of unbelief. Moses' lack of faith in the promise of God in Exodus 3 verse 18 that the people would listen to his voice and the problem of unbelief among the Israelites who really didn't know Moses or the Lord to whom they had cried for mercy. And yet, since Moses' office was dependent on the acceptance of the people through the elders and following Moses would lead the people out of their status quo and their comfort zones into a new and a scary world, it was important that the people believed him and listened to his voice. And so, as our Lord Jesus would do so many years later, God gave Moses signs so that the people would believe that he had appeared to them, to him. Well, the first sign that we read about is the sign of the staff and the serpent. The staff is the walking stick or the shepherd's rod that Moses happened to have in his hand. When Moses obeyed the command of the Lord to throw the staff down, it turned into a snake that was so frightening to Moses that he fled away from it. By turning a staff into a serpent, the Lord revealed that he is able to make a humble shepherd's tool used to care for sheep into a dangerous snake or, or cobra that the Egyptians often used as symbols of power in their designs and their adornments. And the king of Egypt probably was even wearing it as part of his, his headdress. The Lord had power over all creation. And the same God who gave the king of Egypt pow the power he had 
could also give the same power to Moses or to the enslaved Israelites. To make his point the other way, the Lord commanded Moses to then act against all safe handling snake lessons that he had ever received. And the Lord said, put out your hand and catch the snake by the tail. You never catch a snake, a dangerous snake by the tail because it can come around and, and bite you. And so Moses had to trust in God's power. And he had to believe that the Lord would protect him as he obeyed this second command. And behold, the snake became a staff again. God's nearness to Moses at that time was so clearly revealed in the precise timing of the miracle. And when the Lord turned the the snake into a staff again, he showed that he could make what is dangerous to be harmless. Whether that danger be a poisonous snake, dark magic, or, or snake cults, or even the Egyptian king himself. The Lord's voice declares that he is able to give power and to take it away again. Similar to his message through Daniel to King Nebuchadnezzar. The second sign is a sign of the hand inserted Napoleon style into the cloak or the outer garment that Moses was wearing that was made sick and then healed again. It was a clear sign of God's absolute power over health and sickness. And it would serve as a clear warning to Pharaoh about what the Lord was able to do to his country. If you've ever wondered who's in control of the contagious diseases and health in in Alberta, the sign will give you your answer. The Lord gives health, and the Lord takes it away again according to his plan. But there was more in the sign, because skin diseases such as leprosy made a person unclean, unable to enter the sanctuary of God for worship. God made Moses unclean in an instant and then made him clean again. The sign of the healed hand makes it clear that the Lord chooses whom he makes clean. Israel would not be leaving Egypt because they were more worthy of God's love, but because God himself had graciously chosen them to bring them into his temple so that they could serve and worship him. And we can see how this second sign also points to our Lord Jesus Christ, who revealed that he was God with us in his power to heal. And he also revealed the grace of God by taking uncleanness of his people upon himself so that they could be purified in him. The third sign of the Nile River water changed into blood was given as a provisional sign in case the people of Israel still didn't listen to Moses' voice after seeing the first two signs. When we read about Moses doing the signs in front of the people in Exodus 4, verse 30, we just read that he just did the signs. We don't know if he needed to do the third sign before he spoke to Pharaoh, or if he just did it as the first plague in Exodus 7, verse 14. In any case... Even while Moses was far away from the Nile River, the Lord assured him that he was able to take away Egypt's water source, 
their drinking that they used for drinking and washing and watering. And he was able to completely destroy their economy in an instant. The Nile was used for transportation, for trade, and for defense. Anyone who would see the water of the the sacred Nile turned into blood on the dry ground after Moses poured it out would immediately recognize the, uh, the enormous implications of the sign. It would be like someone today, or seeing somebody today who had the power to, to snap his fingers and then all electricity just stopped working. The Lord's voice in the third sign declared that he was God over all the natural forces on which we depend. And so he was also in control of every aspect of a nation's daily life, from the glass of water that we drink on a hot day, through all the ongoing economic activity, and all the way up to the rulers of nations in their international trade. May we also see the glory of God revealed in these signs. See the God we worship and adore and trust in. Humble ourselves before His awesome power and majesty. The Lord's voice is powerful. And Moses did not need to doubt the Lord's promise that the people would listen to his voice. And so Moses went to the next problem. What about his voice? Why would they listen to him? The calling of Moses recorded in the scriptures leaves no doubt that he was not a man without sin or weakness. By the time we get to chapter 4, we are told of his third, fourth, and fifth objections. Five objections. In Exodus 4, verse 10, Moses points out to the Lord that he had never been a man who was good at speaking. Moses even seems to put some blame on the Lord for this because he mentions even after the Lord spoke with him, he was still heavy in the mouth and heavy of tongue, which seems to indicate that he spoke slowly. It would appear that the man described in Acts 7 verse 22 as a man mighty in words and deeds was afraid that he had grown rusty in his ability to communicate to others in Egyptian. It may remind you of a time when you were encouraged to speak a different language and and how nervous you felt and how inadequate you felt to speak in a different language to your friends or family or or colleagues or perhaps in your work. Well, the Lord's response in Exodus 4 verse 12 exposes the sinfulness in Moses' concerns. Not only had Moses found fault with the way that the Lord had made him, but he also suggested that the Lord would not be able to complete his plan because he had deprived Moses of good speaking abilities. The problem was that Moses was working with human expectations concerning how the job should be done. And so he gave himself a very important role as a speaker. Well, God's answer shows the silliness of Moses' pride and how Moses was just creating problems where none existed. 
by explaining in verse 12 that he would be with Moses' mouth and he would teach him what to say. He showed that Moses wasn't actually that important. And Moses had to accept his small role in God's work. Even though he might find it embarrassing to be so underqualified, the Lord had chosen him as his instrument so that it would be very clear that it was the Lord himself who was delivering his people Israel from slavery. Do you see, do you hear how the Lord's name is glorified even more when he uses weak and unlikely instruments to fulfill his plans? Well, Moses' final objection reveals the source of his other requests for assurance and his hesitation about his capabilities. You can see that in chapter 4, verse 13. He asked the Lord to please send someone else. Again, we can identify with his desire to leave the responsibility with others. Citizens do that with their governments. Parents do that with the schools. Church members do that with their leaders. Christians do that with their hired mission and outreach workers. The less responsibility, the less we have to do ourselves and the less chance of making mistakes and being embarrassed. However, it was Moses' final request that also made the Lord angry, we read. The Lord would show Moses the folly of his requests, not by denying them, but by granting them. The Lord explained in verse 14, Aaron is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad. Moses received his wish. But as we keep reading, we see that if he thought he would be embarrassed of, because of his poor speaking abilities, he would be even more embarrassed by the complete irrelevance of Aaron in the picture. Although Aaron might have been better at speaking, God's plan didn't depend on the eloquence of people. That's why Moses would have been fine on his own. The Lord made it clear in verse 15. It's so clear. He says he would be with Aaron's mouth just as he had promised to be with Moses' mouth. And he would teach them both what to do. They both depended completely on the Lord. At the same time, in spite of his hesitation and doubts, Moses would still need to be the mediator between God and man. Moses still had his position. The Lord says that, you shall speak to Aaron and put the words in his mouth. Aaron shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. Nothing was gained by bringing Aaron into the picture. And we're not surprised that later on when Moses and Aaron did approach Pharaoh, Moses himself did a lot of the direct talking to the king of Egypt. Well, the Lord had determined that his voice was going to be heard on earth through his mediator Moses, and nothing Moses could say would change his mind. At the same time, the Lord was so gracious that he was still willing to incorporate some largely useless and irrelevant parts in his plan just to accommodate Moses in his fears. 
We serve an awesome God, a patient God, a God who is gracious to us even in our weaknesses. He sometimes lets us learn how much we miss the point by accommodating to our request, answering prayers of doubt and weakness. The Lord's voice manifest in the appointment of a leader plagued with weakness in order to save a people who who were slow to believe reveals that he is very gracious and very patient, a heavenly father who knows us. As John Calvin, one of the uh, reformers, wrote so aptly several hundred years ago, he avenges not our foul ingratitude but rather adds new remedies for the cure of our unbelief. We are comforted to see that even weak servants display the power of the Lord even in their weakness and that the Lord will accomplish His purposes in spite of human weaknesses. Clearly, it's not about us, but it's about God who needs to receive the glory and the praise. And this gives us hope when the Lord calls us as followers of Jesus Christ into his service. The Lord speaks to us through his Son, anointing us to service. We see that the Lord did not release Moses from his position as a mediator because Moses had been chosen by the Lord to point the people forward to Jesus Christ. Moses was an instrument through whom the Lord's voice could be heard in the world. And yet he was a type of the Son of God who would later come down from heaven to earth. Through Moses, the Lord revealed that the Christ, the anointed mediator, would be a humble and weak and a focused mediator who would at the same time display the power of God to the world, the love of God for his people. As Moses was just a shepherd with little significance in Egyptian society and with no guarantee of being received by his own, so our Lord Jesus Christ, who called himself the good shepherd, was not automatically received by the Jewish leaders. In John, we read that he came to those were his own, and his own did not receive him. The signs that Moses did remind us of the miracles that our Lord Jesus did. The Lord's command to Moses to speak the words that he put in his mouth pointed forward to Jesus, who said that he too spoke the words of his Father in heaven. Our Lord Jesus followed the pattern established by God's interaction with Moses as a program for his mission as a mediator and deliverer of the people of God. The difference was that Jesus Christ turned out to be a much better mediator. Although Moses was hesitant and a little bit proud, Jesus was willing and completely submissive. More than that, whereas God worked through Moses as an instrument, Jesus was God and man at the same time. Jesus was not just an instrument through whom God showed his love, but he was God in human form, 
the exact representation of his being, the manifestation of the love of God. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. The voice of the Lord spoke clearly through the word who became flesh. And he revealed his presence on the earth with many miraculous signs that revealed many of the same things that God was revealing to the world through Moses. His miracles revealed that he had power over creation, over health and sickness, over storm and creation, the angels and the demons, water and wine. He is able to cleanse his people from their uncleanness. And in Christ, in his grace, the blood that he shed was not that of his enemies, but it was his very own blood, which he shed so that God's enemies could be saved by his work. He was the voice of the Lord, perfectly, uh, in perfect clarity, declaring to the world that he had been sent by the Father for the sake of his people, the church whom he loved, for you and I who believe in him. He is the voice that we must pay attention to. For He is the one who has anointed us to a life of service in His kingdom. As God called Moses to serve as a mediator, pointing forward to the coming Christ, He also calls us, after Christ's finished work on earth, to now reflect His glory and His love on the earth. When we are united to Christ by true faith, we are not only just saved from our sins, but we are also brought into his ongoing work in our calling as prophets, priests, and kings. And so that's why Paul urges Christians to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. As Christians seek to to shine in this dark world, we find that our faith and our submission to God will always lead us to action. And that action can have some uncomfortable results. Whether we are called to serve in other countries or in our own neighborhoods, called to serve the kingdom in quiet anonymity or publicly, God's command to serve in his kingdom continues to press upon us because we are followers of Jesus Christ. Presses upon us just as it pressed upon Moses. And that's why this passage really strikes a chord in our own hearts. In the first place, as we read of Moses' reactions, we see how this passage exposes both our low expectations of God's power and it exposes the pride that often resides in our own hearts. And both of these often hinder our prompt obedience to the Lord's calling in our lives. We use our weaknesses as excuses for not serving because we can't believe that God can accomplish his purposes in a different way than we would expect him to do. Our text shows us 
how often we fail to recognize that the God who calls to serve, calls us to serve him even in our weakened state is the same God who makes a person strong or weak, seeing or blind, healthy or sick. He knows very well who we are when he called us to glorify him in our different callings. If he wanted someone different to do what he called you for, he would have placed someone different there, or at, last, at least given you the abilities such a person. You, and you can think specifically you, you can put your own name in that place. You are where you are because in his wisdom, God decided that he wanted you to fulfill that task. In the second place, the Lord's voice in our text helps us in our daily callings by teaching us that being faithful to God in our lives is not about gaining glory for ourselves, but it's about the glory of God shining through us and out into the world. The Lord brought salvation through his Son who was born in humility, who was mocked, who died on a cross in shame. Paul wrote about the same things in 2 Corinthians, that passage we read, how God's glory is seen in the weakness of the servants he has chosen. And do you see, brothers and sisters, that although we might feel the pride of a perfectionist, who would rather not obey God if we know that we won't gain respect for our performance, such an attitude actually hinders the work of the Lord. The Lord was angry at Moses because Moses cared too much about what he would look like. He doubted the power of God even working through him. Moses had to learn that God's servants need to be humble in his holy presence. In the first two signs that Moses did, he was clearly nothing more than an instrument in God's hands, like, just like the staff in his hands. We too are mere instruments in God's hands. And that's a great comfort for us in our calling because it gives us a new confidence. We are acting in the strength of the Lord. The Lord will accomplish his purposes in spite of our weaknesses. And that is, in the third place, we see that our text gives us that comforting news that the Lord can and the Lord often does use broken or weak or crooked instruments. Jacob walked with a limp. Moses was not a good speaker. David harmed his own people. And we might think of a thousand reasons why we aren't good enough for the task that he has given us. And we might even ask God, give somebody else to do it for us. But at the end of the day, we have to accept the wisdom of our holy God. And don't forget, in this meeting, Moses is standing before the Lord at the burning bush in the, in the glory of his holiness. The Lord decided to give us the office that we have, whether that is as a father or a mother or a child in the home or a service position in the church or in our, in, in our employment. 
He has decided to place us in the situations where we are so that we might learn to rely on His grace so that we can see the glory of God. He gives us these positions in spite of our weaknesses. Although it's perhaps better to say that He gives us these positions because of our weaknesses. When God calls us to do difficult things, when He calls us to stumble through our responsibilities, hindered and embarrassed by our own weaknesses, when He calls us to experience a life that is, that is so much different than what we might have been planning and expecting, let us trust in the sovereign power and the wisdom of the Lord. Let us listen to His voice the signs and the servants that he sent in his son. The signs he gave to Moses continue to assure us of the Lord's power and his nearness to his church. His decision to use people who are weak in the eyes of the world continue to remind us that whether or not we think we can do our tasks, he will accomplish his purposes through us. The Lord told Moses Hearing all this, he said, Moses, go. And oh, don't forget the staff with which you will do the signs, verse 17. And we hear it again. Go. And oh, don't forget the staff. Fulfill your calling, trusting in the Lord's wisdom in appointing you. And don't forget to rely on his power. Because it's not about us but it's about the glory of his name. Amen.